Well, we're coming back to Romans chapter 12 uh, this morning, and I just want to give you a, a bit of a reminder of where we've been as we were looking at uh, the first uh, the first verse of that chapter a few moments ago, or a few weeks ago now. Uh, the, the first point that I made in that message is that there is no Christian living without the mercies of God. The mercies of God to us and the mercy that flows from us in our church relationships. There is no, there is no Christian living in our personal relationships without the mercy of God. There's no Christian in our political sphere without the mercies of God. And there's no, uh, there's no dealing with our weaker brothers among us without the mercy of God. All of our lives depends on God's mercy. And the second thing is, by mercy then, present your body as a living sacrifice. You don't make sacrifices to God so much as being a sacrifice, a living sacrifice uh, for His glory. So let me read then verses, uh, verses uh, 1 and 2. This is Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Please pray with me. Our merciful God, We pray that you would bless us today, Uh, grant us your help as we hear your word, grant us your help as we seek to understand it and apply it, and would you help each one of us in living out your word in our own particular uh, circumstances and lives. And we pray this for your glory and for the exaltation of the majestic Christ. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We need to be fed. Please serve us, even as we seek to serve you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Probably... Verse 2 of chapter 12 is the most popular of all of the verses in the translation called J.B. Phillips, a British guy. So I want to read how he translates that verse, and this is going to really be the framework to help us work through this passage. This is how Phillips puts it. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, its own mold. But let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves toward the goal of true maturity. 
Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. The passage opens up with these words in, in, uh, in our, our text. Chapter 12, verse 2 of Romans. Do not be conformed to this world. And that word uh, conformed in the Greek language is related to the, what, the word that we know as schematics. Schematics. Uh, those who are, are putting up a building will draw plans. They will diagram, for example, the electrical system. And then what the workmen do in, in putting that, the electrical system together, they follow the schematics, they follow the diagram, and, and they don't plug into where the dryer is going to be, a 110 volt line. They, they would use a 220. Follow the schematics in order to build a house that won't blow up or not work at all. Follow the schematics. And so it is that Paul is saying here, don't follow the world's schematics. Don't follow the way the world thinks of things. Their way of thinking. The way they, they, they squeeze you into its own mold. And we do feel squeezed at time, don't we? All, all of us hate to be, uh, sort, sort of not to fit in in certain circumstances. Sometimes you might show up to a party a party where people are all dressed really well and you're there with cutoffs and a t-shirt. And you just, you don't want to go in there. You don't want to be seen. You don't want to be revealed as somebody who doesn't fit in. Well, ever since the Garden of Eden, one writer puts it this way, human thinking has been corrupted by snake think. Corrupted by snake think. The serpent, as the scripture says, uh, led Eve astray and, and, and planted within her uh, questions about God's intentions and God's integrity. He doesn't really have the best for you. He's trying to actually to keep things from you. And, and so it is that snake thing has percolated through all of the people and all of the societies of this world until the time when Jesus will come again. That is what is meant by the world. And the world is characterized by this kind of thinking. If God is there, if God is there, he doesn't communicate the truth. How can you know anything? For sure. If he's there, he doesn't communicate the truth to people. The second thing is, is uh, we don't need God to understand reality. This is the world's schematic. We, we can figure things out very well on our own. In fact, that's a sign of our being adults. We don't need God's direction. And, and the third thing then there is that human reason is, this is a big word, autonomous. It is, it is, it is self-rule. Uh, we decide what is good and right and true. We decide what is moral, what is good for people, and what is, what is true. And of course, Romans 1, from the very beginning of this, of this book, uh, the Lord has given us this, this perspective that, that uh, the unrighteous suppress the truth of God, the God who is there, as Schaefer would say, the God who is there and He is not silent. But the world suppresses that truth. And this is what happens to the world when they suppress that truth. Their minds become futile and their hearts darkened. Their minds futile. 
I learned a, I learned a word yesterday, or not yesterday, a few weeks ago that, that I, I really like. I've seen it. I haven't really known what it... It's feckless. Have you ever heard that word? Feckless? You've read a trouble. I don't know what that means. It, well, well, it has to do with, with a sense of futility. Uh, someone who is feckless is ineffective. And so it is, those who are, are building their lives on the world's schematics have, have futile thinking, feckless thinking, ineffective thinking, and also then, uh, the, then hearts being darkened by it. And, and so what, that's what happens when people worship created things rather than the Creator. The world's schematic puts man at the center and man as the arbiter, the one who builds all truth. And I want to speak to the young people for a few minutes this morning about something that is, is really hard for me to believe, hard for me to really get a hold of, it's so, so new and different, is this, this part of the, 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 the schematic for our world. And, and that is this. Uh, that what you feel about yourself really defines who you are. What you believe to be true about yourself defines who you are. The world schematic is what one person, one writer calls the psychological man. That is, that is your own self-view, perspectives. That's what determines your identity. And this comes out most clearly in the area of, of uh, what is called gender these days. Your sex doesn't define you. Your sex doesn't define you. To say that you have uh, born a male, then you have to stay a male, that is too confining and it robs you of freedom. Gender is what you decide what you choose to be. And that is you can be born a little girl or a little boy and you've got that male or female DNA stamped into every single one of your cells. But people say these days that as children grow up and they may feel more male than female, they want to identify with that gender. Well, then it's up to them to decide. Children can decide to be male or female. I count this to be a tragedy and introducing enormous confusion into the lives of people. That's the world's, part of the world's schematic. And children, if you disagree with this in a school, you, will be, you may be ridiculed. You may be called blind and, and backward and unjust. And people have even said that, that to, um, to oppose this psychological man that we've been speaking about, it's as bad um, as Jim Crow racism, which was predominant in our country since the time of the Reconstruction following the Civil War up until 1965, when there were, there were laws in place to keep people, the black race, segregated and oppressed. And so it is that people will say, if you don't honor what a person feels to be true, even about their gender, you are oppressing them. Young people... Young people, please listen to me. The schematic that we have received from God is very clear, but it is also beautiful. 
And that is that God made Adam and Eve, male and female, uh, different from one another, but together uh, portraying most beautifully the image of God. And so as you were formed in the womb, God was present. Psalm 139 tells us that God forms each person in the womb and makes them just the way He wanted them to be. God likes your nose. He likes your nose. Um, he likes your structure, your skeletal system, your height. And he likes your sex, male or female. That's the way he made you, and so it is good. And we should not let the world squeeze us into its own mold. I want to read, I want to read something from uh, Jeremiah chapter 2. Um, you may wish to turn with me uh, into that, uh, to that passage, but there's a description then of, of how the people of God in the Old Testament had departed from Him. Uh, they were rejecting Him. Um, um, hear, o, o, hear the Word of God, O house of Jacob. This is in, in Jeremiah chapter 2. Um, and the clans of the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that that they went far from me. What, what, was, what has been wrong in the way that I have, I have instructed and I have called them to live? What's been wrong with that? They went after worthlessness. They went after worthlessness and became worthless. Do you hear that? Pursue something that is opposed to God Pursue, some, pursue something that is contrary to God. You are pursuing worthlessness, but not only that, you're becoming worthless yourself. You become, Greg Beal puts this beautifully, you become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. If you pursue worthless things, then you will become worthless. Praise God that He redeems worthless things. <laughs> Rescued me from my foolishness. Praise God for that. Not pointing the fingers here. Saying this is all of us. This is all of us. So don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. This is a great word. It's used four times in the New Testament. We're going to look at briefly at all four of them. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the word metamorphosed, metamorphosis. Uh, that's that's the, 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 the wonderful Greek words that, that is behind that, transformed. I want to read... Uh, summarize a section from a, a commentary by John Murray on this very this very portion. He says we are to con- be const- we are to be constantly in process of being metamorphosed of being changed by renewal in the seat of thought and understanding. This is a deep-seated and personal change wrought by the process of renewal. Sanctification is revolutionary change in the center of our consciousness. It is more than than choosing right behavior or or turning away from wrong behavior. There is actually something even deeper going on. Sanctification is a revolutionary change in the center of consciousness 
and it strikes at the stagnation, complacency, pride of achievement that so often marks Christians. And it is certainly not the beggarly notion of the second blessing, as is often taught in some churches, but it is instead a constant renewal. That is, do you understand what we're saying? A transformation at the very deep level of our consciousness, our thinking, our deciding, our behaving, that, uh, that is worked by the Holy Spirit in this process of renewal, of revolutionary change. Metamorphose. Metamorphose. We, when we think about metamorphosis, some things come to our minds immediately. It might come for, to, to your mind that the tadpole, maybe you were taught this in elementary school, the tadpole, that little squirmy things that, go, that goes through the water. Well, it becomes, through time, it becomes a, a frog and develops with legs and then, and then it croaks and it, and it, and it jumps around. It has, it has radically changed in its form. You might also think of the caterpillar. A caterpillar that is that fuzzy little thing on a, on a branch and sometimes drops into your hair and it gets kind of all messed up in there and, and then becomes a butterfly that flits around. It's beautiful. A change in form. Well, those are great illustrations, but I don't want to use them. I want to, I want to think instead of, 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 the, of a rock. A rock. There, there are, as you perhaps may know, and I had to be reminded of that by looking it up in uh, Wikipedia this week, but there are, there are three different kinds of rock, uh, and, and the first is the, the igneous, or that molten lava that becomes a rock upon cooling. The second one is the sedimentary rocks, that is silt that settles in a, in a, in a, a strata and hardens over a period of time. But, but the third is metamorphic. Do you remember metamorphic rocks? Do you remember that from school? Anyone? Anyone out there remember metamorphic? Oh, couple of us do. All right. And, and, that, is, and that is a rock that, that is, is, submit, is subjected to, to heat and pressure over time and it fundamentally changes in its structure. The rock changes. It metamorphizes, changes over time. And that's an amazing way to describe what God does in us. Now, I want you to... Uh, there's the two times that this word is used in the Gospel. It is, it's in, um, in, the, in referring to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and for example, in, in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus appears there and his clothes become gleaming white. Whiter than any dry cleaner could make them. His clothes just, just lighten up. What's even more amazing, though, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says that Jesus, upon that mount, his face was transfigured. His face was changed, and, and his, his face shone like the sun. And, and he gave his disciples, and us, as we read the text, he gave his disciples a peak of the glory that is to come as Jesus is glorified. And, and that glory visited us in the form of Jesus and His transfigured faith, face is saying to us, there is much more that is coming. And, and could we possibly even believe that some of that might be ours? Well, I want you to flip over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And in 2 Corinthians, this is a letter that, is, that follows Romans, 
uh, and, and it's uh, the, the second, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And in this letter, um, it is describing um, Moses ascending into the, into the hill of the Lord, the mountain of the Lord. And as he communes with God, his face changes. Moses' face begins to glow, and when he would come down from the mountain, um, he would put a cover over his face because it would freak people out, because there's Moses with his face glowing, and then it's starting to get dim, and they just didn't know what to do with that. So he had his face covered. But this is what Paul says about it. As, that is not glorious, Paul is saying. That is not impressive. Moses having a, a face that is, is lit up by God is not very impressive. What is more impressive is in this new ministry of the Spirit and in the ministry of righteousness, something even greater happens. And then we look at down at verse, at verse 18. Start with verse 17. Start with verse 16. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, metamorphosed. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What is that image? Of course, it is the image of Jesus himself. As we behold the glory of God, look with me at chapter 4, verse 6, let the light, uh, God said, let light shine out of darkness. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We behold the glory of God and remember what Greg Beale taught us. You resemble what you revere. You become like what you worship. If God can change a rock, He can change your heart and mine. Sometimes it hurts. There is pressure over time. There is heat. That's what the Holy Spirit uses. And how can we, how can we survive that process? By the mercies of God. Well, I want to be very specific, just to, just to put color on this, just so we can get this and understand it. Uh, I want us to look back at, at, chapter, at chapter 12. I want to take, want to take a look at this. Um, that we are, um, our minds, um, our minds are being renewed. Uh, you be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's how it happens. I want to read something. This is, uh, this is a, a quotation from uh, Douglas Copeland's uh, novel, Generation X. And this is what he says. Truth be told, the one thing in this world I want more than anything else it is a big, a great big crowbar to pry myself open 
and take whatever creatures that's sitting inside and shake it clean like a rug. Then rinse it out in a cold, clear lake. And then I want to put it under the sun and let it heal and dry and grow and sit and come to consciousness again with a clear and quiet mind. We want that kind of renewal where old things are taken out, corrupting things are taken out, the things that were being squeezed into the world's mode, being, being a mold being taken out. A change in the center of our consciousness, how we think, what we desire, how we feel, how we decide. We want to be changed on that level. And thank God it's the Holy Spirit who breaks us from the mold of the world and conforms us to the very image of Christ. Well, flip over with me at the, towards in the middle of chapter 12 of Romans, and I want to I pick up a couple of themes, again, to make this as clear as I possibly can. We're going to be looking in a few weeks, we'll begin looking at verses 9 and following, which is 9 to 21, which is, which is the most dense, gorgeous description of what the Christian is to be. It's an amazing thing. But what I, want, what I want you to see is that every part of that description of what the Christian is supposed to be is exactly opposite from the world. And we are, are the world would squeeze us into being exactly the opposite of what this passage is talking about. And so we want to see the glory of Christ in such a way that we are able, to, uh, the rock of our heart is able to be broken into pieces and, and rebuilt and assembled to be able to look more like the image of Christ. And, and let me pick up at verse 14. Pick up a theme here. Pick up a theme. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What would you say is the schematic of the world that this passage is opposed to? Do you hear the question? What is the schematic or the way of thinking and acting in the world that the gospel, as it's here described, is opposed to? I'll put it this way. The world's scheme is this. Pay back people who mistreat you. You got that? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever done that? Pay back people who mistreat you. The world's schematic. And yet we're supposed to look to Christ and see something of His glory that breaks us from that deathly grip of the world's mold. Let's look at the life of Peter for just a moment. Peter uh, said to Jesus, well, Jesus actually started the conversation with Peter right before the crucifixion. 
And, and Jesus said to Peter, you're going to deny me. Before this night is up, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's response, no, I'm not. Jesus' response to Peter, yes, you will. Peter's response to Jesus, nope, not going to do it. What does Jesus do with a person like that? What does he do with someone who, who, who will, in fact, d- deny him publicly? What does he do? This is what he says to Peter. When you've turned, when you've repented, you're going to do it. And when you've turned, strengthen your brothers. Jesus does not pay back Peter who would mistreat him. He instead uses him, redeems him, turns him, and says, now I want you to be useful. And there was a moment that must have just shaken Peter to the core. Luke's Gospel is the only one that records it. Jesus is there on the trial there, and, and Peter is out in the courtyard. He's standing by the fire. He has just denied Jesus for the third time. And Luke, Luke puts it this way, that Jesus turned and looked at him. Their gaze is locked. Peter realized what he had done. Denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And he was crushed. Destroyed. Ruined. But he remembered the invitation from Jesus, the merciful invitation from Jesus. And later Jesus would come to him and he would encourage him, Peter, do you love me after all? Do you love me? Three times he asked him that. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. And Peter was rescued. So, how do we respond to evil that is done to us? If we hang on to resentment, um, our lives, our hearts will harden against them. And I'm put it this way, resentful people are inert. Do you know that word, inert? It's a substance that just doesn't, doesn't it, it, is, it is without any movement, without any life, it's just, it's just a rock. Listen to this from C.S. Lewis. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. The only way to break the mold of the world, that, that trap 
of paying back people who mistreat you is to saturate your mind in God's Word. And the Holy Spirit will renew your mind as you behold the beauty of holiness. And we become, as we look at God's Word, as we've read through chapters 1 through 11, that we will be reshaped by mercy and rescued by grace. Just as Jesus blessed Peter, He welcomes you back without resentment, without impatience, without rejection. And the Holy Spirit breaks up the hardness of your heart and mine and metamorphoses our hearts and changes us, changes that stony heart to a heart that is full of His mercy. That's where we're headed as we look into this passage in Romans, see how, how Jesus does change us. There, there is, however, one, one point I want to make at the end of, that, the end of this verse. There's, there's this, this phrase of, of, by testing, you'll be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, as you read that, I, I, um, I, I, I do like very much what, what uh, J.B. Phillips, how J.B. Phillips puts that. You will prove in practice how good God's will is. It is not that you stand in judgment of God and you discern whether his will is good or worthwhile or trustworthy. No, you are proving by your experience that God's will is good. The law reflects God's character and therefore it is good and it leads to mental and spiritual health. God's will is acceptable. It is pleasing to him. And it fits beautifully with the glorious gospel of mercy to respond to mercifully to others. And finally, it is perfect. It is just what we're made for. And God's way is best. So, how do you respond to this yourself? As you... Um, may deal in your own life with desiring to pay back people who mistreat you. You can't just climb that mountain on your own. You have to look at what Jesus has done for you to liberate you from the prison of selfishness and to release you with a heart that has grown soft by mercy, his own mercy to you, then to be able to share it with others. What a great God. What a great gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you praise today. We give you thanksgiving for you are merciful to weak people like us. We pray, O God, that you would so humble us that we would would flee to the, the beauty of our Savior, the beauty of holiness, to be transformed by the renewal of our minds whenever the the mold of the world would squeeze in and, and, and cause us to live in a way that is, that is opposite of the beauty of holiness. Holy Spirit, help us. Thank you for the free gift of salvation through the, um, the birth and the perfect life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you. In the name of Christ. Amen.